You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Hey, good morning, LifePoint family. It's, uh, I was going to say it's so good to see you, but I can't see you. So hopefully you have your Sunday best on right now and you're ready and rearing to go as we get into God's Word this morning. You know, I've never preached in front of a camera before, so um, this is something new for me, and I know for all of us this is uh, less than ide- ideal, but uh, there's, I want you to know this morning that there's going to come a day where we're going to gather together again. We're going to lift up one voice in worship. We're going to um, be challenged by a message. We're going to experience God's presence again together. And so just even now as I'm preaching uh, and sharing my heart, I'm just going to be imagining some of you uh, just saying, amen, or sure, just different things like that, just so I can feel better about myself. So even in your living room, feel free to do that or write it in the comments as we are, are going along, um, just to try and encourage myself. This morning, um, we're starting a new series entitled Ready for Our Hope, um, Ready for Our Hope. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking... Um, as Jesus, this King, this King of glory, the hope of glory, Jesus. And so we're gonna, it's really a series about Jesus. And Jesus is our hope for restoration. Jesus is our hope for healing. Jesus is our hope, hope for salvation, not just that we've been saved, but that we're also being saved and we're going to be saved. Um, we're also going to be looking at Jesus and his return, his second coming, that as a people, we have this hope, this blessed hope that Jesus is coming back again. And so over the next couple of weeks, as we really wrestle with this topic of, of hope, I, I hope you're encouraged, and I hope it is something that brings us hope in this just really strange time. It's just a really strange time to be alive. It's been about 100 years since, uh, as a country and as a world, we've experienced something quite like this, um, just a worldwide pandemic. And so this morning, I hope that you feel inspired and, and encouraged that that Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. He is the one that we have this firm foundation on. And so I would really, uh, as we've, uh, as I've just been wrestling with this and really coming to terms with my own heart, like what is, what is this hope that we're talking about? What is even hope? Because when we think about hope, a lot of times it's in the worldly sense, which is hope is kind of like this wishful thinking. Hope is, um, man, I, I really hope things will get better. I hope I, I'll get that promotion. Things aren't looking really good right now, but, you know, I, I hope I hope we'll have enough money by the, by the end of the month to pay these bills or to pay the mortgage. Um, I hope, I hope. It's kind of like this wishful thinking that, man, my situation, it, it is what it is. And, you know, maybe it'll be different, but it's most likely this is, this is the way that it is. But biblically, spiritually, in relationship with Jesus, that's not what, what hope is. That's not how we define hope. Um, so my, my definition for hope is this. Hope is a firm faith that a good God acts and intervenes on our behalf and who can be trusted to fulfill his promises. Hope is a firm faith that a good God, that a good God will act and intervene on our behalf and that he will fulfill his promises. So hope is not this wavering. It's not this just Hail Mary, we throw it out there. We hope that things will get better. No. Hope is this firm foundation in this good God. And hope is not a matter of personality. It's not a matter of temperament. 
It's not a matter of how you were brought up. It's not reduced to the right circumstances or, or human possibilities. Nor does it depend on what you have, what you can do, or what any, anyone else can do for you. No, hope is firmly rooted in what a good God has done and what he is currently doing and what he is going to do. And because we know that God's goodness is inexhaustible, we have a hope that the best is yet to come, that what we have seen still isn't the best of what we're going to see, that God still has more for us. That's why Romans chapter 5 says that hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not disappoint us. God truly is better than we think he is. Hope is not at the mercy of the ever-changing winds and storms of life, but as Hebrews says, it's a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And this Jesus that we serve, this Jesus that we've come to know, Jesus is the hope of glory. Jesus, this king that we know that we've come to, to, to follow, Jesus is the hope of glory. He is the hope of glory. So everything rests on him. And so as children, as followers of him, we can come with a confidence, with a boldness that his goodness is inexhaustible, that his goodness cannot be exaggerated. That we can hope, hope, hope is something that we can firmly grab a hold of. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And uh, it's interesting, it just so happens to be Palm Sunday today. And I, I love this, this portion of Scripture, and it's one that we kind of breeze over a lot of times. Uh, because it's just, you know, it's right before um, the crucifixion and... Um, the Last Supper, all these different events that um, are significant. But I, I want us this morning, we're really going to take our time and go through this, this portion of Scripture because it is uh, such an important, it is such an incredible and incredibly exciting uh, and hope-filled moment in the life of Jesus and in the, in the life of uh, the followers of that day and still today when we look back at this moment. So in Luke 19, just to give you a little context, um, this portion of scripture is is, is right at, or this event is right after um, uh, Lazarus is raised from the dead. So Jesus calls Lazarus out from his tomb, and as you can imagine, it creates a lot of waves. I mean, it's it creates this this resounding excitement throughout the land, and just overnight, the the amount of, of followers that Jesus has just swells. And so there's all this excitement happening. There's all this, cl- this, this clamoring of, um, of noise happening surrounding this event. And so what Jesus does is what he does after a lot of these big events throughout his ministry is he, he, he enters into a time of seclusion and prayer. And I believe it's a time of preparatory prayer where he's really preparing himself for what he's about to endure and what, what he's about to experience and encounter. Um, because everyone else is, is unaware, but Jesus is not unaware. And so we're going to look at the triumphal entry as we uh, look at as we celebrate Palm Sunday this week. So in Luke nineteen, verse twenty-eight, starts out and it says this: As Jesus said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. 
Now I want to stop there for a moment because I know we read, a lot of times we read sentences like that. We think, you know, there's not really a lot there. We just kind of go past it. But I love this portion of scripture, this, this little sentence, because this is something that happens throughout the, the gospels where it says Jesus enters a place or somebody um, comes upon Jesus or Zacchaeus has this experience where Jesus comes into his town and he experiences him. All these different scenarios throughout Jesus' ministry, we see, we see these words, Jesus entered, Jesus entered, Jesus came onto the scene. And then the result of that is everything changes. Everything changes. Jesus enters the scene and, and people are healed and transformed and restored. Situations are changed. Impossible situations are changed just because Jesus enters the scene. That's why when we sing a song like we sang we sang earlier, Jesus, when you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness uh, starts to bow at the sound of your name, Jesus. Sickness vanishes. When Jesus enters the scene, everything changes. That's why this morning, I want to challenge you. If you don't hear anything else I say to this morning, I want, I want to challenge you in this way. Just invite Jesus to enter every single part of your life. Allow Jesus to enter into everything. Don't keep anything from him. And every area that you allow Jesus to enter he will change and transform. He will touch. And his Holy Spirit will come and refresh and renew like you've never known or experienced before. So that's why we say, Jesus, come, enter. He's not going to come in by force. He's going to come where he's invited. And so just like we read here, Jesus enters this situation. And then now we're going to read what unfolds after Jesus enters the scene. So verse 29, it says, And as Jesus approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you, ent- and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent, those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he has told them. And when they were untying the colt, the owners asked him, Why are you untying it? And they replied, The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Man, something as I was studying this week that I had never thought of in this portion of Scripture is this is such a miracle of provision. And it came to this place this morning that I want to communicate to you that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to everything you, you will face. And I know that sounds like such a Sunday schooly answer, but there's a reason. It's because it's true that Jesus is the answer to everything you will face in this life. And so in, here we read about Jesus gives them an assignment. He gives them a command. He says, go, go do this. But then Jesus also knows that they will face opposition. And so not only does he give them the assignment, knowing that they're going to face opposition, but he also gives them the answer. He says, this is what you need to do. And this is the way of the kingdom. God says, go. But he says, don't worry, when you go, Don't worry, I'm going to be with you to the ends of the earth. I'm always going to be with you. And this is the way of the kingdom that God says, uh, gives you assignments. And God asks you to walk in obedience, but take courage that he is going to give you everything that you need. So that's why we walk in obedience. And even now, some of you, I know, you you know, you're facing uh, unemployment. You're facing... um, your, your, your pay has been reduced or there's so much uncertainty in the world right now that some of us are reeling. 
I want to challenge you this morning. Be obedient to the things that God has asked you to do. Now be obedient in the small things right now. God is going to make a way for you. As you're obedient, he's going to have an answer for you. He knows that we're going to face opposition. He knows that we're going to face obstacles. But that's why he says, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to be with you. Now until the end of the age, I'm going to be with you. And there's going to be an answer for you. Continue to be faithful and continue to be obedient to the things that God has revealed to you. And you're going to reap a harvest from that seed that you've sown. So I love this part because they're like, you know, it's just the disciples. They're just like, okay, whatever, whatever you say, Jesus. And then exactly um, what happens, what Jesus said was going to happen, happens. And so these people um, that have this colt, who had this donkey, um, it's likely that they um, were people, because it was in Bethany where, where um and Beth Page, which are close together, and this is where the, the miracle of Lazarus coming out of the tomb was, had happened, that it's, it's, it's likely that these people knew who Jesus was, and maybe were in some like outside fringe disciples of Jesus, you know, or new followers of him. And so when they said the Lord needs it, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, great, great, yep. And everything, every answer that we have, or everything that we have is submitted to this Lord of Lords, this King of Kings. And so I think that's pretty neat. So moving on to verse 35. It says, And they brought this colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put it on Jesus. As they went along, people spread out their cloaks on the road. So now Jesus is, is, is entering the city. And this is a really a significant moment, and we're going to go over the next few minutes why this is so significant. So one of the reasons it's so significant is... Um, the date and time in which Jesus is doing this. So this is five days before Passover. This is the 10th day of the month that Jesus is entering the city. Uh, and there's people from all over the world that are coming uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so this, uh, this date actually coincides um, exactly with Exodus chapter 12, which is where Moses instructs the people of Israel um, to select a lamb a sacrificial lamb, which they will sacrifice to, to the Lord, which will serve as uh, for the blood for the Passover over their doorpost and on, on the sides of their door, doorpost for when the when the when the um, the angel of death comes um, and will pass over them. So what this represents is Jesus is coming, and it's on that specific day when people would select the lamb in which they are going to sacrifice to their Lord. And now people are seeing Jesus come into the city, and what he is saying is he's like, now I am the ultimate sacrificial lamb. I am the one that comes to take away the sins of man. It is me. I am the one. That's why all of heaven, right now, they're singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And Jesus is the only one who can. That's why he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to save it and to set it free. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one. He's the only answer for our sin. He's the only answer for our sin. He's the only one that can deal with this this chasm that, that comes between us and the Lord because of sin. He's the only one. He's that bridge, that great bridge. He closes that gap, and he is that ultimate sacrifice that gave his life so that we can have right relationship with Jesus or with God again through Jesus. So he's presenting himself as this 
this lamb. And I think it's beautiful. They're throwing their cloaks down. They're throwing their garments down, um, all, one on the donkey and then one down on the road before him. This is like an act of surrender because uh, the next thing is that Jesus is, is king. Jesus is king. So if we read in verse 37, it says, And when he came near to that place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is the first time. This is the first time Jesus is publicly addressed as king where he allows it, or Messiah, where he allows it to happen, where he doesn't say, hey, no, no, be quiet. Don't tell anybody what you saw. Uh, in, in, in all the, the situations prior to that, where Jesus would, would, would uh, have a miracle or a healing or something, he would say, don't, don't tell anybody. They, and people would say, wow, who's this guy that speaks this, these, these amazing, incredible things? He must be the, the true Messiah. He must be the king. And he says, don't tell anybody. It's not time yet for me to be revealed as king. But this is the first time where Jesus is hailed as king Hailed as Messiah, where he doesn't say, hey, no, let's be quiet. This is a beautiful moment. There's beautiful moments. And there's so many things happening in this little portion of Scripture that I want to just take time so we can understand the gravity of what's going on. So I I glazed over the fact that he's riding a donkey before, but I want to stop because this is important. Um, The reason uh, that he's riding a donkey was, was one, is that it's fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. So in Matthew's account, it says this explicitly. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. So Jesus was intentional. He, he, knew, he, was, he knew in that moment that he was fulfilling a prophecy that this king, this Messiah would come and he'd come riding on a lowly donkey. So the people of that day, you know, they had these misconceptions about Messiah that we still have today about Jesus, about how he should act or how he should be or how he should be presented to us. You know, they expected him to be, this king to be a mighty king coming on a, on a mighty war horse, you know, adorned with expensive uh, cloth and decorated you know, he'd come with force and he'd be this mighty warrior. And Jesus is definitely a mighty warrior. He is a champion. And when he comes back, he will come on a mighty horse. He will come as a, 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 a mighty warrior. And he is that champion and that warrior. But in this moment, he was presenting himself to the people as a humble king, a humble king. You know, it was, it was something for priests and kings throughout Old Testament history to ride on a donkey. The, the last... Um, the last king to ride on a donkey was, was Sol- Solomon. But a, donk- a donkey represented peace. It represents humility. It's a common animal, a work animal. But donkeys were not wartime. They weren't brought into war. They were really representative of peacetime, where work is being done, where things are happening, where things are being accomplished, or work is being completed. But, you know, I think we still to this day have misconceptions about how God should work, how he should come. We, want, we hope for, you know, lightning from the sky or fire from the sky and God would speak in this great audible voice, this is what you should do. And that's what we hope. And I, I you know, I, in some ways I hope that that will happen. I, I, I know there are stories of, of that happening. But more often than not, God comes in ways that we wouldn't expect. You know, God comes in the, in the stillness, in the quiet whisper in our lives, when we quiet the noise of life. You know, God works out things differently than we would expect. 
He answers prayers differently than we had hoped or thought that they would happen. Sometimes that's even frustrating to us. But he always comes in a way that he wants to, and that he thinks is best. And so that's why when he is king, we simply say, yes, Lord, your way and not ours. God, I pray that you just clear up our misconceptions, that you are a humble king, and you didn't come to flaunt your power and authority. You came, you said, not to be served, but to serve, and to give your life as a ransom for many. And so when he revealed himself as king, he did so in a humble manner for, the, for every person, not just the rich, not just the wealthy, not just the powerful, but for every person. The other cool thing about this donkey is it's a donkey that no one had ever ridden. So it's a young donkey. It hasn't been broken. So, you know, most people, if you ride an animal for the first time, it's like a rodeo. You're doing a buck and bronco, but that's not what we see here. So it's kind of a miracle that Jesus is sitting on this animal and it's just calmly walking down the road. You don't hear him say, and this, this donkey was bucking Jesus all over the place. And uh, the miracle was that he was staying on it while it was going so crazy. That's not it at all. It's that he was riding on an animal that had never been, that had never been ridden before. But it was calm and it was doing what it was supposed to do, actually, what it was created for. So we have all that going on, right? And we have all these people shouting. And then actually, they're coming down, like it says here, they're coming down to the, down, uh, the Mount of Olives. And on the other side, you would have this hill that was adjacent to the Mount of Olives. And on that, on that hill was a place where people would come and pilgrims would come who are coming to celebrate Passover. And they would come and they would be on that hill and they'd be reciting and singing Psalm 24. And so all this is happening. There's this huge clamoring, all these, you know, I don't know, hundreds of people coming and, uh, in the city, gathered around Jesus as he's walk, entering the, the, the uh, coming down the Mount of Olives. And then adjacent to that are these people praying uh, um, Psalm 24, which is this. It says, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord is strong, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gate. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. So they're singing this out. Who is this king of glory? Uh, earlier on in, in, in that says, who is he, he that ascends the hill of the Lord? And they would have seen Jesus coming down. They're singing this out. Who is this King of Glory who comes? And they would have seen Jesus coming down. And then they would have heard the people saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. I mean, imagine this. And so you have all these people, they're seeing this happen. And you're seeing all these people around Jesus, these new followers, even to the moment. They're being caught up in this moment. And they're all gathering around Jesus. And they're all saying, blessed is this king who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory in the highest. And then you would have had people who were also singing Psalm 24 come running because they see this king of glory entering in. This king of kings. This one whom their heart had longed for and hoped for all these days. All these years and years and millennia. And here's Jesus. They're singing in Matt in the other accounts. This is this account is in all four gospels, but in Matthew's account it says that they they keep saying this phrase, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And that's a it's a really um, it's a really beautiful word because it, it originally the intent was of Hosanna was it, it's this um, 
this word that means it's like a, a cry of help to a king or to God. And it's a cry of help. It says, Lord, save us. It literally means save us. Will you save us? But throughout history, it has slowly shifted to, from this prayer, this cry of help to, Lord, you are my salvation. It is you. You are my salvation. So that's why we look to you. So they're singing. They're re- it's, it's, it turned from this cry of help to re- now rejoicing. And so then now when we're singing Hosanna, they're saying salvation has come, has come. And they're, and they're pointing to Jesus, this king. Blessed is the one who comes. Hosanna in the highest, in the highest. And, the, and that means Hosanna in the highest. It means that they're joining in with all of creation. Even right now in that moment, all, all of heaven, the angels, they're all crying out, blessed is him who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest, this one who comes to save. This one, this, he is salvation. This king that we had all hoped for. He is the ideal king. The ideal king, this one that we had hoped for. So as you can imagine, some of the Pharisees in the crowd were uh, not incredibly happy about what was going on. And uh, because they saw this this huge, uh, in the Matthew's account, it says that the city was moved. The city was moved, like the entire city of Jerusalem was moved. And so that word moved is the same word that's used in the Greek for earthquake. So this, the city was actually moving and quaking uh, because of, I mean, it was shifting the entire atmosphere of the city. And so the Pharisees were rather concerned and I think it was John's account, it says, the whole world has gone after this Jesus to follow Jesus. So they're greatly concerned. And Jesus was not the first teacher to be called Messiah, but all the other teachers before, either they were heretics or uh, they would correct their, their people and say, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not the one. And, and, and so the Pharisees are coming and saying, teacher, you have to tell them that you're not the one. Teacher, rebuke your disciples, they're saying. And Jesus' response is interesting. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. (laughs) This was Jesus' moment to shine. If there was ever a moment in his history on earth, this was his moment to shine, where he would be revealed and revered as this king, this king. And it was in that moment that if the people didn't, didn't cry out to him, all of creation would have. All of creation would have cried out. Even the rocks would have cried out, Hosanna, blessed is him who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus said, I can't stop this moment. It is happening, whether you like it or not. And that was really the final nail in the coffin um, for the Pharisees. They said, this is it. We have to do something. It was a beautiful moment where everyone present, heaven and earth, worshipped this king. I just want to take a moment. I just felt like collectively in this moment, even as I was praying over this message this week, like that we should just need to take a moment and just thank Jesus for being our king. So let's just do that now. Would you just agree with me? Jesus, we just thank you for being our king. We thank you for being our king. You are strong and you are mighty, but you are humble. You are loving and gracious, but you are perfect in justice. And we thank you that we can serve you and follow you with an assurance and a confidence that you are not changing. 
You've not changed your mind about who you are or what you're all about. And so right now, Lord, we just submit ourselves humbly to you. You are king. You are king, and we are your children, and we love you. We love you. So now as this story, it, it takes a little bit of a, a turn in Luke's account. We'll have this great rejoicing, this moment of celebration, to a really a somber place because it says in verse 41, it says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come, will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground you and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus, we have this amazing time of celebration. Now all of a sudden, Jesus, he sees this city and he begins to weep. And you need to know this is not Jesus just shedding a tear like he is weeping loudly. He is weeping loudly. He is sobbing over the city when he sees it. Because he says, even if, you had only, if you'd only known the peace that you could have, but you're so blinded. You're so blinded by your own religion. You're so blinded by striving. You're so blinded by your self-involvement and selfishness. You're so blinded by going after the things of this world, living for yourself. If you'd only known the peace that could come to you. you know, this week at Midweek Prayer, Miss Connie, one of our elders, she shared something that just really struck me. She said she was had this moment where she was thinking about just the gravity of the, the situation in which we face right now and how you feel isolated. And she just said, I just miss my family. I just really miss my family. I miss seeing them and being near them. I just miss them. And she said, the Lord spoke to her in that moment and she said, Connie, that's how I, that's how I feel when my children don't turn to me. That's how I feel. I just miss them. My heart aches for them. I long for them. I don't want them to be afraid or consumed with the things that are happening all around them. I believe that's what Jesus' heart is in this moment. He said, oh, if they could just see how good things really could be. It's like having a child that's in rebellion and going off on their own and getting themselves in all this trouble. As, as a parent, you can't make them do certain, you know, they get, come to an age where you can't make them serve the Lord. They make choices on their self, but your heart aches because you see them getting themselves into this, this trouble and these difficulties. You think, oh, it could be so much better. You don't have to go this way. You don't have to go this way. How my, it hurts my heart. So Jesus grieves, and I still think Jesus grieves when he sees us go our own way. Not that we're hurting and we can't hurt God, but he has this this cry in his heart, if you'd only know the peace that could come. That's why in Acts chapter 3, Peter says, repent. Repent then and turn to God. 
so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Turn, turn to him, turn to Jesus, so that times of refreshing can come. We truly don't know how good it can actually be until we're with him and we're serving him, we're following him. This peace that goes beyond this assurity that we have this God that we walk with every single day who's not confounded by the things that are happening in the world right now. That we have this hope that's firmly grounded in a God who loves us. Jesus has this sadness over the current situation, but then he turns to the future because, and he begins to prophesy because what he says happen is going to happen here is exactly what happens. 40 years later after this is when uh, the Romans, Titus, um, this war general who would later become um, uh, the, the emperor, he surrounds Jerusalem and they actually dig trenches all around that causes an embankment to come around and they hem them in on every, they literally hem them in on every side. And if people try to escape Jerusalem, they are, they are taken and they are crucified. It said that there, uh, in, in my studies this week, it said that there were uh, trees had been cut down for miles all around Jerusalem because they were crucifying so many people. Over one million, one million people died in that, in that season, in that, his, in that time in history. They broke down, they destroyed the temple, they left not one on, on another. They actually broke even the, 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 the huge stones that made up the temple walls because they thought gold was inside. Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, happened because God will never make us serve him. He'll never force anyone to serve him. Jesus lets us choose. And just like we read in Romans chapter 1, that God allows people to go their own way if they want. But there are also natural consequences of that. And just like here, there is literal death that happens because people don't experience the, the protection and provision that comes in being under the wings of a God, a holy God. There's a spiritual death that takes place, the natural consequences of our own selfish living, sinful living, that Jesus sees. That's why it grieves his heart. That's why he hates sin so much, because he sees what it does to us. He sees where it leads. He sees that it leads to this road of, 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 of death, spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally with other people, your dreams that people would have, potential. Sin is the great destroyer. And that's why Jesus says, take me as your king, as your friend, as your father. And you'll have everything that you need. Everything you would have hoped for and can hope for is found in me. We're going to close here in a moment. And I, I found it, it is interesting in this season that the season has revealed some things in us. And it's, maybe for some of us, it's been some rather unpleasant things. Maybe for some of us, this, this, this season that we find ourselves in has really revealed that we have such a trust and we've put our hope in in our finances. We've put our hope in our career. We've put our, our hope in the systems of this world. It's crazy that just in the last two weeks, the, all the systems of the world can come crashing down. Not that God is going to redeem it and restore it and repair it, but it's crazy how these seemingly immovable 
systems of the world can come crashing down so quickly and so easily. And it's really revealing. Maybe your hope is in our country, that our country would somehow be our saving grace. And I love our country. But our country will not save us. Some of us, are, 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 our hope has been in our health. And we see that too, that can be fleeting. It's a, and it's really God's mercy that he shows us in these times that he is our only hope. He is our only answer. It's King Jesus. It's King Jesus. And so I would just ask you this morning, I would I, honestly, I'd plead with you this morning. Just make Jesus king of your life, king of your heart. Allow Jesus to enter into every single area of your life, every area of your family, because he will touch it and transform it and he will change it. So this morning, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, I know it can be difficult to even to focus during these messages and during this, this prayer. If you need to come back to this, then please do. But I want to counsel you this morning to respond to the message as it's, as, as it's been given. Maybe this morning you just found yourself, as you've been sharing, that you're, man, you've been putting your hope in, in things other than Jesus, other than the, in the God our Father. And this morning, you just feel like, okay, Lord, I want to repent from that. I want to turn from that. And I want you to be my only hope. I want you to be my only hope, the only answer, my King of Kings. Maybe this morning, you're finding yourself in a place where you're far away from God. You don't have a relationship with Him. Or maybe you had one, but it's just grown cold and stagnant. You need to give your life to Jesus. We're going to pray in a moment. And I want you to pray this prayer as we do that. So wherever you're at, Want to, I want you to pray with me. Just bow your heads. Just quiet yourself for a moment. I'm going to pray a couple of prayers, and I want you to agree with me in prayer. The first is this: If you need to give your life, your life, if you need to get your life right with the Lord, you need to give your life to Him. I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to agree with me in prayer. Lord, I just recognize today that I'm in need of a Savior. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not in right relationship with you. I'm not following you and serving you the way that you've created me to. So right now, I just turn, God. I repent. I turn from those the things that I've been following and, and serving, and now I follow you and serve you, Jesus. I, plead, I, I, I receive that gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus. Apply it to my life, and I pray, Holy Spirit, right now you come to fill and overflow in Jesus' mighty name. If you need to agree with me in prayer for that, that, that first, you just found that your hope is in something else other than Jesus. Just agree with me as I pray. Lord, right now, we just we just have this moment of honesty. We're just candid with you, Lord, that we say, I'm not where I need to be. I found my hope is in things, temporal things of this world and not eternal things and not you. So, Lord, right now, we just collectively as a people, we just repent, God. We repent of those things and we say, we're going to follow you with everything that we have to the last breath that we have. Everything that we have in this life, Lord, is yours. So we give it to you. No turning back. No looking to the left or right. We just declare our love, our devotion to you, only King Jesus. I pray you strengthen us. Be our only hope. Be our only hope, God. The one who we can cling to and hold on to. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Hey, I want you to stay tuned. Pastor Drew's going to come. Um, right after I'm done here and he's just going to 
um, communicate a few things about Easter in the coming weeks. But God bless you. We miss you so dearly. I just need to know that. Uh, this building is just so empty without the people of God in it. And we just so miss you. So uh, we can't wait to see you soon. Uh, let's, let's stay in communication, stay in touch. So um, if you need anything, please don't hesitate to reach out. We're reaching out to many of you uh, as we know how. So we love you. We love you. Stay tuned for Pastor Drew. Hey church, I want to give a quick encouragement for this week ahead as we look towards Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Obviously, we've never celebrated Good Friday or Resurrection Sunday purely online, but that that's the situation that we find ourselves right now in this moment in history. And I want to encourage us as a church family to not hold back in the least bit. I believe right now, in this moment, our city needs a church that's vibrantly alive with a revelation of the resurrected Christ. I just had this picture in John, this picture come to mind of, of the story in John chapter 20, where post the crucifixion, the disciples are uncertain about what just took place and what is to come. They're full of fear. Their minds are just flooded with all the unknowns of the one they thought was the Messiah was now crucified before their eyes publicly. Um, And they're so uncertain about the future. And then they have an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And Jesus appears to them in this this locked room and he he speaks peace upon them. He says, peace be with you. And I believe in this moment in history, the church needs an encounter with the resurrected Christ like John chapter 20. We need Jesus to speak into our lives in a fresh way with that message saying, peace be with you. And it became the message of the resurrection that was the the message of the gospel throughout the book of Acts. And so in a fresh way, as we look towards the future and the days to come, we come to a really important impasse this week. As as we look towards Passover, Holy Week, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. So don't hold back in the least bit. Get the word out. Encourage your friends, family, neighbors to join us online. It's going to be an amazing morning filled with worship and and testimonies, uh, encouragement uh, for all ages. So join us. Good Friday, 7 p.m., Resurrection Sunday, 1045 online. Let's go for it, church. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.